Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. Hey, how's it going, Craig? Thanks. Thanks, buddy. It's kind of somewhat rhetorical, you know, if you will. How are you guys doing? We're, doing? we're doing well this morning. Thank you for leading us in worship. Uh, the band just did an awesome job, I thought, this morning, um, ushering us into the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we want to experience together as Body of Christ. My name is Wes. I'm the mission pastor here at North, and I get to share with you uh, this morning from James 5, verses 1 through 6, and we're in a series called uh, Getting Clarity in an Unclear World. And obviously there's a lot of uh, unclear things right now in our world that we're trying to figure out. So it's, a, it's an apt book for us to be going through. Of course, James is the brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus, saw Jesus in his ministry. And he is challenging believers to live out their faith. And as Adam and Jay have said over the last few weeks, beliefs and actions go hand in hand. And so James is calling God's people to act like God's people. It's important to get clarity. I got some clarity at one point in my life. I was uh, just graduated college, and I'm trying to figure out what ministry job to take and you know how to make some money. And you know I'm dating this girl, Kristen, and I'm just like you know praying to God, like should I should I take the next step? You know what am I supposed to do? And so I did a lot of thinking and praying, and, and I, I didn't get answers right away. But one one day I was in Ocean City, Maryland, and I was running along the the beach there in Ocean City, and I actually had a really cool thing. Um, I had my Sony Discman uh, on, and this is a picture of, of that. It was shock resistant or something, whatever that means. So I had my CD in there, and it had a strap on there because it, it was a sport one, you know, so I could run with it, and I looked really cool, so I'm wearing this, and, and I'm, I'm running. I'm just praying to the Lord. I'm actually listening to the band uh, The Calling and the song Stigmatized. And I, I, the reason I know all those details is because God did something really special for me that day as I was praying about several things. He told me three things as I was walking out onto the pier that day. Now, I've only had a couple of instances in my life where I felt like God spoke very directly to me and very specifically to me. This was one of those moments of clarity for me because clarity is important. He told me three things. He said, one, don't take the job that you just interviewed for and you really liked and you got an offer to be the youth pastor at this church in Ohio. And I didn't understand why. It seemed like a good, good idea. Uh, so I said no to that job. Two weeks later, I was offered the job here at North Bible and I've been here for almost 18 years, so God knew what he was doing. He also told me to incorporate um, worship into my own uh, devotions. I kind of had only done Bible study and things like that, but I was to incorporate music and worship into my own study, and that has continued to this day. And he gave me, the third thing was he gave me a blessing to marry my wife, Kristen. And that was important for me for more reasons than I even knew, is because when we had some tough times in our marriage, I was, I and her were always able to go back to the Lord bless this marriage and, and asked us and considered us to be together. So he knows what he's doing. He's here with us, and that was a foundational for us moving forward. But I got clarity on that day, and I think James does exactly this, as he gives us clarity in regards to how we are to live out our faith. We've been talking about that for several weeks. We'll continue today. We're, today we're going to talk about money. That's a fun topic. 
We're going to talk about money today. Um, you know, so that can make some people uncomfortable, whether you're inside the church or outside the church. You know, why are churches talking about money all the time? Why are they asking for my money? I'm not going to ask for your money today, but I'm going to give you a few reasons why we're going to talk about money. And the first is this. Uh, the passage that I was given by Jay is James 5, 1 through 6. So that's really the only reason is I was given that passage. No, there's, there's a lot of reasons to talk about money in regards to our faith. Money is a key theme throughout Scripture. Over 2,000 times money-related issues are brought up. And to compare that to the words faith, hope, and love, as those three words combined together are not even in the Bible 2,000 times, but money matters are brought up more than 2,000 times. It's important to Jesus 40% of Jesus' parables were about money, uh, how we choose to view and handle money or our resources is one of the biggest indicators of where our faith is at. Are we trusting in God or are we trusting in our resources? And then practically speaking, finances are one of the top reasons why uh, marriages end in divorce in our country, and so maybe this helps apply a little uh, marriage advice for you this morning. And speaking of finances and marriage, my wife and I used to get really annoyed with each other. Scratch that. I used to get really annoyed with my wife uh, when it came to our finances, and she, she handled our finances. She still does. And it, I wouldn't get annoyed with how she spent money. What I got annoyed with was how she managed our finances because she was scared to go online, to use apps, no online banking. So what she did was she balanced the checkbook. Have you ever seen one of those before? There's this checkbook, and you, you have an amount, and then you, you know, you, what, so what we did was for years, up until just a few years ago, if, if I bought a water somewhere, I needed to save that receipt, and it eventually needed to come back and go to my wife's, um, you know, desk, and then once a month, she would pull out this pile of re receipts, and she would literally take every one of them line by line and do the math, and she would balance our checkbook. That was annoying. <laughs> but we're talking about money today, so um, I want to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get moving on. God, I thank you that you uh, talk about matters that are, are significant. One of those things is our money, our resources, and how we handle those things, and the heart behind uh, all of that. So this morning, as we open up your word, we pray that your spirit speaks uh, to us and through us, and that we can just apply it as we go forward. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So I'm actually going to start in Matthew 19 today. We're not going to start in, in uh, James. We're going to go to Matthew 19. And these, these are Jesus's words to his disciples about money. He says this in verses 23 and 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So obviously Jesus is making a strong case that money can be a hindrance to our faith and it can be a hindrance to keep us from faith in him. And then he gives us this illustration of, of this camel going through the eye of a needle and what exactly is, is he talking about there. And over the years, uh, scholars have have thrown around different ideas. One, one interpretation of this passage is to actually think of it literally. 
like an, a camel going through the eye of a sewing needle and how impossible that would be. So that's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that um, the Greek words for camel and cable or, or rope or string are one little uh, nuance different from one another and the person who wrote down what was being said wrote, wrote it down incorrectly and wrote camel instead of cable. And what they're trying to do in this interpretation is to somehow relate the two together because a camel and the eye of a needle don't go together, but a cable or rope would. And so they try and figure that out. I disagree with this interpretation uh, because several reasons. I don't think there was a mistake made uh, with the illustration. I think it is, is exactly how Jesus talked about it. But uh, secondly, it's in three different gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Luke, and it's in Mark. So the writer would have had to make that mistake, same mistake, in all three instances, and so I don't think that's a, the best interpretation. Another interpretation of this passage with the camel and the eye of the needle has take, gotten a lot of traction over the years, and that is this idea of a city gate that is around the city, and if you needed to enter into that city, you could go through these small openings called the eye of a needle, and uh, what would happen is humans would kind of have to duck to get through, but camels definitely, for sure, would have a really difficult time getting through this hole in the, in the wall, and they called it the eye of the needle, and they would go through. And if you had a lot of money, you had a lot of riches, there was more stuff on the camel's back, and so it was even more difficult for the camel to crawl through this hole uh, called the eye of the needle. But unfortunately, there is no uh, archaeological evidence for such gates in that time and in that place. So we're back to our original interpretation, a very literal interpretation that Jesus is actually saying it is, it is impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. And here's what he adds to it here in verses uh, 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus is telling his disciples here that no one can get into heaven without God's grace and God's help, especially the rich, but it is possible with God for anyone and the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven, but it has to come through him. So this is what Jesus says at this time. Uh, Jesus uh, dies on the cross, he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven, and we fast forward 30 years, and now James is talking about money here in uh, chapter five of James verses one through six. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the m miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Some bold words uh, from James here. And so my summary of this, this passage is simply this. There are consequences for mishandling money now 
and forever, and our greed causes us to take advantage of the most vulnerable. So who is James talking to in this passage? Uh, is, is James talking to believers? He's talking to unbelievers. Um, I believe he's talking to believers as he, as he does this entire letter. And he doesn't say at the beginning of it, you know, brothers and sisters, and then he goes on to address. But there are several sections in James where he does not say brothers and sisters, and we, we know yet still he is talking to the church. Some may argue, well, this is the beginning of a chapter. There's a different heading, you know, at the top, and so maybe he's talking to someone different. But the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses and, and headings. That's something that we added in later to help reference things and, and find things. And I believe James is speaking to the, the church in these verses. So is this passage for you, and is it, is it for me? I would argue that if you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, and you live here in the United States, in America, you would fall into the category of rich. Now, you may not fall into the category that you're, you're greedy and you have these corroded things and you're hoarding all that, but if you're a follower of Jesus and you live in the United States, I would argue you are rich and that you're exactly who James was talking to here. So I, there's this calculator online <coughs> that you can put in uh, you know, your, your demographic. So a single person who makes $30,000 annually, an income of $30,000, a single person globally, for all the people who live in the world, that is the top 5% of all income earners in the world. The top 5% if you make $30,000 as a single person. A family of four who brings in $80,000 annually also falls in the top 5% of all wage earners in the world for a family of four. So I would make a strong argument that we are the rich believers that James is speaking to here, you and I. So we're gonna look at the passage here a little bit closer, but I want you to keep a couple things in mind as, as we go forward, okay? One, money is not inherently evil. It is the obsession of money, it is the love of money, and it is the trust in money that is evil. Another thing to keep in mind is Jesus hung out with people who had money. He had followers of him who had money, Zacchaeus, Joseph of Arimathea, and Barnabas, and there are faithful people all throughout Scripture who had great wealth, who also served and loved the Lord. Abraham, Job, Esther, Solomon, and David, just to name a few. Therefore, having lots of money and resources and wealth isn't necessarily sin or judgment upon you, but it is how you handle those resources. And then Paul Miller writes this, thought this was a very interesting uh, perspective. The obsession with saving small amounts of money isn't that much different than the obsession of gaining large amounts of it. In both, money is the center. So keep these things in mind, and we're going to jump into these, these six verses, uh, starting with verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Jesus tells us that these rich people um, are going to experience pain. They're personally going to experience pain because of their love of money, and they are going to cause pain on other people as well because they are keeping it to themselves. What was happening in, in these days, it was happening outside of the church, but it was also happening inside of the church, and James knew this. Uh, you know, believers were buying 
land, small pieces of land, and some of them were bigger pieces of land. And as followers of Jesus who owned land would have these workers who would work the land. And they were taking advantage of the workers, the other believers sometimes, or maybe some of, the, some of them weren't believers, but these folks who, who said they were Christians had land and were taking advantage of those people by wanting to grow their wealth or wanting to keep their wealth for themselves. And so there's two audiences that James is speaking to in this, in this passage. He, it's a warning. It's a warning to the, the believers who had some wealth and he's, he's asking, he's telling them that you will be judged on how you have this love of money. But there's also a different audience, the audience of believers who were workers of the fields, who were suffering under other ownership and oppression. And he's saying, hey, like, be encouraged. There is judgment that will come upon them. It's not yours to take, but be encouraged and remain faithful. Verses two and three say this, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Uh, Food was being hoarded. Piles of extra clothes were being eaten by moths. Gold and silver was being collected and and stored in the corner and, and corroding. The things of this earth are temporary, and only God and his kingdom are eternal. And it reminds me of the movie Hunger Games. I don't know if you've seen the movie Hunger Games or not. But the two main characters live in what's called District 12. District 12 is very scarce. They're trying to, you know, just survive. There's no luxuries. They're just trying to to find enough food and water to live. And these two main characters are taken to District 1, where there is just lavish extravagance, like money beyond what you can imagine. And they're just shell-shocked, and they're comparing District 12 to District 1, and they're going, how do these people live in such lavish, self-indulgent ways, and yet we are trying to survive over here? And they actually go to a party, and they're eating, and, and they're starting to get full. Their eyes are big with, like, how much food is here, and these people are dressed really fancy, and there's fun music, and and someone offers them some more food, and they're like, oh, we're, we're full, we're, we're good. And they're like, oh, well, here's what you can do. You just drink this little drink, it'll make you sick, then you can throw up and you can start eating more. And it was just this idea, they couldn't even comprehend that logic. And I think for us, uh, we live in what would be closer to District 1, and that there is a District 12 out there, and we need to pay attention to those people. Verses four through six say this, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Another translation of, the, of verse 6 here is, you have condemned and murdered the innocent person. He does not resist you. James is saying that the rich and the wealthy are not only trying to keep their wealth, they're trying to grow their wealth but by taking advantage of other people, whether knowingly or unknowingly taking advantage of those people. Now, I believe I can make a really strong argument that Christians should be known as the most generous people in the world. If you follow Jesus, I, I believe that we should be known for our generosity. We should be known for our generosity. Now, in some ways, 
followers of Jesus or the church is known for that, are known for that. But in some ways, frankly, we're not. I was a server at TGI Fridays at one point in my life. <clears throat> and if you've seen Office Space, I did have a little flare on my shirt. That is a reference you, you get. Um, I wasn't a very good server. Uh, my tables really didn't know I wasn't very good, but uh, I did because I never could do more than one thing at a time. Like, if there were three different things I needed to get for three different tables, I went to the kitchen three times. Like, just grab all of them, you idiot. I, could, I couldn't think that way. I just, I just wasn't very good. My tables didn't suffer, but I did because I was always running, ran like a marathon every time. But I worked at this, this restaurant for quite a, about almost a year, and people would trade shifts. Other servers would trade, you know, I have a Thursday evening shift, you want to trade for, for my Wednesday, you know, uh, lunch shift or whatever it was. And I got a lot of offers for Sunday lunch shifts. And I didn't quite understand it at first when I quickly realized, unfortunately, the folks who had just gone to church who then would go out to lunch tipped the worst all week. And they traded those shifts for other shifts. And that, to me, that, that was like, that hurt me a little. I'm like, we're supposed to be known as the most generous, and yet we're known in the industry to be the most stingy with, with our money. Now, some, some organizations and, and ministries that, that do lead the way and make huge differences uh, in our society is like Phoenix Rescue Mission, downtown Phoenix. Their, their reach in Arizona and around the world is significant. The city pursues them to be involved in a Christian ministry because of the amazing work that they do. And that is, that is what it, that's what it looks like for Christians to lead the way in generosity and with love. And if you're ever up in Sholo and you, you utter the words Living Hope Centers, that's just met with like this great reputation of they, they make a difference in our city. They make a difference in these families. They provide services that we are grateful for. They're leading the way in those matters. And then Feed My Starving Children, you know, we pack food, it goes all around the world. Uh, corporations will, will, you know, secular corporations, not Christian corporations, corporations will schedule time with Feed My Starving Children just to come in and pack food for them because of the reputation that they have. And they, they may not be believers, but that food goes all around the world in the name of Jesus. And that's what it means to, to lead in that way, lead with generosity. I'm actually going to take part of my sermon here, and I'm going to do a little ministry highlight because monthly we do a, a local outreach highlight or an international missions highlight. And Feed My Starving Children is one of those things that North uh, gives funds to, not only for food, but also for distribution of those things. You as individuals and families have also participated in that. But a couple weeks ago, we had a, a food packing event that North uh, did with Feed My Starving Children, and here's just a quick highlight for you. So fun. We had 44 folks from North go down and pack food. I think, we, yeah, give yourself a round of applause. I think we sent some of the most competitive people from North because we broke some sort of record about how much was packed in a certain amount of time. And, and we ended up uh, packing enough food to feed 59 kids for, for a year. And so we just get to be a part of those things. We want to celebrate that with you uh, this morning. Check out the missions wall in the, the lobby today. You can see all the things we're doing locally and internationally around the world. So why does James talk about money? He could have talked, spoken about a bunch of different things, but he chose to talk about money. I think he did because how we handle our money 
our food, our resources, our treasures is part of our faith. What we do on Sunday or when we, what we do in our Bible study isn't separate from the money that we have and the bank account that we have, the 401k that we have. It's actually together. They're, they're, you, they're inseparable. What we are to do is worship God with our money and not to worship money. So what would it mean for you to worship God with your money? James talks about it because he's reminding us that money and riches are temporary and the only God is eternal. And he mentions several, uh, that there's severe consequences for trusting in money, not just for ourselves, but for others. And I believe the ideal way for Christians to live on this earth is what Acts 2, 42 through 47 looks like. And these are the ingredients for what I think the perfect church looks like. They open up God's word together. There's fellowship. There's sharing of meals together. There's doing life together. There's worship. There's prayer. And there's meeting the needs of other people. If there isn't a portion of your money that isn't going to meet the needs of other people, then there's an ingredient that's missing in your life and in my life. So some practical implications. I like to think practically about what James is talking about here, some things to take with us. Uh, I would encourage you to tip generously. Tip generously. When you're, when you're at, a, at a restaurant or you have someone come you know, do something at your, at your house, maybe they're cleaning your house or something like that, when you tip, tip generously, especially if you're going to pray, especially if you're going to talk about church, especially if you're going to talk about God, and maybe they're not the best server, Maybe, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe something wasn't their fault. Maybe they were rude to you. Maybe the thing that they need that day is a generous, a generous tip. I was coming out of Scottsdale Bible about 15 years ago, and Daryl Del Husay, who was a pastor at the time, who'd been there for a long time, was walking out, and he's like, hey, Wes, I'm going to lunch at Chili's, and we're going to grab a couple more people. Come with me. And I'm like, all right. So we're Chili's, and he's telling us at the table how important it is to tip generously because he preaches on Sunday, and if someone comes and hears him preach, and they're like, hey, that's a guy that, you know, tipped really poorly. You know, I don't want to hear what he has to say, which I agree with. I happened to look over to see what he tipped. Took just like a little sneak peek. I probably shouldn't have, (laughs) but I did. And he tipped about 10%. And so I'm like, I have this internal struggle. I'm like, it's not really a generous tip. Do I say something? I'm like, he's my boss. Uh, so I was like, hey, Daryl, um, I saw what you tipped there. That's 10%. And he goes, yep, 10%. Good tip. And I was like, that's, I, I'm in, I've been in the industry before. 20% is kind of like a, the place to start when it comes to giving a generous tip. And he looks at me and he looks at the other people. The other people were like, I'm not saying anything to him, you know. <laughs> So to his credit, he was like, okay, that, that's great. 20% at least every time from now. And he tells this story uh, fondly. Uh, to, you know, to his credit, he was able to make that change. But that is one very practical way that we can meet the needs of other people, especially when that is their livelihood. If, if, if it's being a server or clean houses, if that's their livelihood, then, then let's tip generously. Next thing I would encourage as a practical implication is to give sacrificially. To give until it hurts. I, I believe that's how Christ would operate with his resources. He wouldn't be comfortable and give just the extra. He would give until it hurt. That's what he did. That's how he lived and, and instructed 
I had a, a professor in seminary who happened to do pretty well, apparently, because they had a second house that they rented, and they were going to sell that house and you know, take those funds and add it to their, their retirement, and heard of this widow who needed a house, and they actually prayed about it, thought about it, and just chose to give that house to that widow, um, and that was the end of it. And he was feeling really good about himself, and he was t- disclosing this with the, with the class. And then it dawned on him that it didn't cost him one thing. It did, that didn't change one thing about his normal day. It only added to the amount that he, he already had for retirement in the future. And it, he was asking himself the question and us the question, what would it actually mean to sacrificially give like Christ would give? Tip generously, give sacrificially, and then give to the poor. Hundreds and hundreds of times mentioned all throughout Scripture that we are to give to the poor. It's not an option. It's actually when we're giving to the poor, we're giving to Jesus himself. And Leviticus mentions it, and James talks about it here in our passage that he even asks the people who are harvesting their crops, leave the edges of the crops for the foreigners, the passerbys, the people who are working in those fields to, to consume those products. Leave them for those people. Don't harvest as much as you can. Leave some for others. So for clarity, when it comes to faith and money, it's God's money, and it's God's plans. It's God's story, and it's God's kingdom, and we just get to be a part of it along the way. It's a stewardship issue of our heart, and that's what James is encouraging us to do. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are a generous God, and when we follow you and live like you, we also become generous, and we get to make a difference because of what you have provided for us and for other people. So give us the encouragement to live as James calls us to live. In your name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. If you have a prayer request, you can submit those in the the back of the room uh, before you leave, and we're grateful to be praying with you in, in prayer this week. Um, you know, d- applying what James is talking about here requires us to be self-aware. So I, for years, when I had an idea for how I wanted to give to someone or help someone, I was excited to do it. But I wasn't as excited when people would ask me. And I wasn't as excited when it was my wife's idea. And I wasn't as excited when it, when it came from an outside source. And so it took me years of kind of figuring that out to like, oh, I have this negative response right away over here, but if it's my idea, then it's, it's great. And so I've had to wrestle with that over the years, and I had to be self-aware of, of those things, and I still wrestle with them today. I think sometimes money is, a, is a, a vehicle for us to get some things that we think money provides for us. Comfort, certainty, control, power, reputation, and safety. And all those are great things, but we have to hold them with an open hand. When it comes to safety or our reputation, you know, God asks us 
for him to provide through our relationship with him, but he, they can come and go as he pleases. We aren't to hold on to them like this. It's not ours to have. It's ours to receive, and it's ours to give to others. And so we're to live open-handed. And James talks about this generosity, this provision from the Lord that can, can come and go as the Lord wills. And we just want to participate in what he's doing. Love you guys. Have a good week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.